Today, we are finishing up the unique series that we've been doing from First Peter. And out of the four messages in this series, I think this one might just be the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. That's right, the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. As a follower of Jesus, we are called to be set apart, unique compared to those who don't know him. This world is not our home. It is temporary. So we view things differently. It's temporary, but it's significant in that the decisions we make on this earth, in this life, will determine where we spend eternity. There are certain things in this life that Jesus did not promise us. Jesus did not promise that it would never rain on your vacation. Uh, for some reason, this always happens to Lisa and I. Uh, we thought it would be great to take a trip to Colonial Williamsburg, and this is what happened. You got that picture for me this morning? Yes, it rained the entire time. We looked like drowned rats by the end of the day. Uh, Jesus also did not promise that your heart would never get broken. He never promised that your toilet wouldn't overflow. Uh, if you have kids, the chances of that goes up by at least 75%. Uh, my favorite in my household uh, was the juice box that one of my kids tried to flush down the toilet. No, I did not know it was a juice box. I just know, knew my toilet was overflowing. Yes, I did have to remove the toilet to find it and replace the wax ring. I still don't know which one of my children... <laughs> tried to flush a juice box down the toilet. Uh, if there are any other little kids here, it doesn't work. Don't do it. Um, but Jesus did give us promises that we can hold on to. Some of them are full of comfort and hope, like he will never leave you or forsake you. He will be your help. He will renew your strength. He will forgive your sins. He is your friend. Other promises from the Lord are, are actually a little unsettling. For example, Jesus promised that if we followed his example, the world would hate us and persecute us. Remember, this is the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. This morning, as we turn our attention to 1 Peter again, we're going to discover that Jesus is calling us to a unique way of dealing with persecution. And I want to start out this morning with the specific promise of God uh, from Jesus, because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. So this is John 15, 18 through 20. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. We're called to be unique. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. There it is from Jesus' mouth they will persecute us. It's not one of those promises that we like to hold on to. And nobody gets warm, fuzzy feelings of comfort from that promise. 
In case you missed the first few weeks of this series, I want to give you a little bit more context um, from 1 Peter, just so that you can put this challenge into perspective. Peter was writing this letter, again, at around 60 to 65 AD. So that, that means there were people still alive who actually witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So people didn't have to solely rely on the witness of Scripture for their understanding and their belief in the resurrection. They could talk to someone that had seen Jesus alive after his death. Let let that run chills up your spine for a minute. That's a pretty cool moment in history where you could talk to somebody that saw Jesus on this earth after he died. But things weren't easy in that day because there was a new emperor in Rome. Nero was like a certifiable nut job. He, He killed his mama. He killed his first and second wives. And then he began to torture Christians for a crime he probably committed, the burning of Rome. There are reports in that day of Nero playing the fiddle or the harp while the city of Rome that he was the emperor of burned. There's reports of thugs that many think Nero put in place stopping people who were trying to fight the fire. In the persecution that followed, Nero fed Christians to lions, crucified them, and set them on fire to light his dinner parties. His cruelty is well documented in history. You can read about it if you want to. This kind of persecution is foreign to us, at least firsthand. We see it a little bit in the news. And I say a little bit because 2017, like last year, was actually a record year for persecuting Christians. Sadly, the last three years in a row were record-setting years for the persecution of Christians. This, by many people's accounting, is the most dangerous time in history that there has ever been to be a Christian. Here are some staggering statistics that I found in a Christianity Today magazine to kind of back that up. In an average month, 300 Christians are killed just for following Jesus. In an average month, 200 churches are burned or completely destroyed in some way. In the same 30 days, 800 believers across this globe are either beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned just for their faith. People lose jobs. People lose family. People flee their homes and countries because they follow Jesus. And these things happen every single month of the year. Persecution is not just a back-then problem. But the Christians in Peter's day were living this, like right now. So this morning, we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16 and then verse 19, to to see Peter's challenge to these people who were undergoing such tremendous persecution. Peter writes, Dear friends, 
Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. My prayer is that God would use this word to make us bold in the faith, to live a life that is not of this world, but of the kingdom of heaven. Some of us have never faced any opposition to our faith at all. And part of the reason for that is because of where we live. The most dangerous place, according to that Christianity Day Today article that I found, uh, was actually North Korea with another nutjob ruler. The United States never even made the top ten list. So where we live is a relatively safe place in the world. But part of the reason why many of us don't experience any persecution may be for another reason. Some of us may not be really engaged in showing people Jesus. Imagine with me that there is an incredibly talented hockey player that gets signed to the Penguins. But for some reason, this player loses the desire to play the great game. So the coaches put him on the bench, and he sits there, and he does the little water bottle flip thing, you know, where they try to get it to stand up, and, and he takes selfies of himself, and he puts him on Instagram wearing his really cool jersey, and while the game's playing, he sits there, and he, he plays Crash Royale on his phone or some other game. The question is this, if you were a member of the other team, would you be worried about the impact that that incredibly talented player could have on the game at all? And all God's people said, no, because <laughs> he doesn't want to be in the game. The same dynamic is true in our spiritual lives. If you're on Jesus' team, if you believe in Jesus, but you don't have a passion in your soul for showing people Jesus, you're kind of sitting the bench. You're not really in the game. Even if you're wearing the jersey or a Christian t-shirt, you're not really playing. And it's safe till the end. The most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. When you're in the game as a believer, you're relying on the Holy Spirit for the power to show other people Jesus. You're praying and interceding for others because you love them, and you don't want to see them go to hell. 
You're, you're serving because you know that God has given you gifts and, and equipped you for playing the game. You're living graciously and generously. You're asking, how can I use the gifts God has given me to leverage all of that for his glory and his kingdom? You're taking action. But some people, even though they're incredibly gifted, are content to sit and let other people play the game. They don't invite people to church. They don't introduce anybody to Jesus. They don't even dream about what they could do or what God might be calling them to do that's good in Jesus' name. What would happen if somebody signed up to be a Marine and went to boot camp, was put into battle, and then ran back to their commanding officer and said, Sir, they're shooting at me, sir. Sir, I didn't think this was going to happen, sir. I won't use the words that the commanding officer would use. But he would say something like, What did you think was going to happen? We are at war. If you wanted to tiptoe through the tulips, you should have been a ballerina, not a marine. Christianity is not a playground. We have an enemy, and he's real. And he is out to kill, deceive, and destroy. And when you engage in a spiritual conflict, I believe the enemy takes notice of you in a different way than when you're doing bottle flips with your faith. If you have never, ever faced any opposition for your faith at all, it might be because of where we live. But it might be because we're not engaged in showing people Jesus. Are you using your gifts and abilities for a kingdom impact? Peter says, if you are, don't be surprised at the fiery trials and ordeals that you are facing as if something strange was happening. In light of what Nero was doing, setting Christians on fire, that is a rather literal analogy. Can you hear the commanding officer in Peter? What did you expect? The question for, for us is, is Peter being insensitive to the trials that they are facing? Is he being mean? I, I, I don't think so. I, I think he's being a realist. I think he's remembering the words of Jesus. If the Lord himself told us this was going to happen, we shouldn't be surprised. And I think if Peter was writing to, to our day in our world in light of the persecution that happens across this globe, I think he would still say, don't be shocked if you lose a loved one. Don't be shocked if your family disowns you if you become a Christian. I actually met people in Africa that their father hung them by their necks all day long and whipped them because they became Christians. It wasn't until their mother gave her heart to the Lord that she untied them during the day while he went to work. And then later, he became a pastor. And then later, I went to serve with him in Africa together. 
But Peter would say, don't be surprised. But the result of your suffering will be a kingdom impact and God will receive glory. Maybe he would say to us here, if you're ridiculed for ignoring the scientific evidence and having faith, don't be surprised. If you don't get a second date because of your stance on purity, don't worry. I still have someone for you. If you're passed over for a promotion at work because you you refuse to lie, don't fret because I have plans to bless you. If your congregation gets mad because you encourage dating couples to hold the biblical standards before they marry, don't be surprised because this is a battle and the enemy is out to kill, deceive, and destroy and undermine the people of God. But God has a plan and he's called you out to be unique and to show people Jesus If you're living for him, if you're in the game, persecution in some form will come. But then Peter says the most encouraging thing we may never have wanted to hear in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I think having joy in persecution and being partners with Jesus in that is a difficult concept with us, but it's not dangerous to be partners with Christ. It's dangerous not to be partners with Christ. I think our enemies sometimes has duped us and deceived us into believing that comfort is the most important thing. I'm a preacher. And I'm guilty of this, too. Do you want proof? Next time you're praying, listen to the way that you pray as I listen to myself as I pray. What do we pray? Lord, help me to to have a good day. Lord, keep me safe. Don't let anything bad happen. Bless us. Bless this food. Protect us. Protect our kids. Keep us, keep all of our friends from harm. Give us money so we can enjoy more of your blessings. Basically, we want to avoid conflict, confrontation, and hardship at all costs. But is that what's best for our faith? Is that what's best for our relationship with Jesus? Does that reflect God's plan for, for us in his kingdom? I admit, guilty. I confess, that has not always been my heart. Will you confess with me this morning? Because God has so much more for us than what this world has to offer. Seeking the blessings of this world And those alone will always only produce a void in our spirit. A void that leads to consuming more and depression and addiction and discontent. No matter how many blessings you accumulate in this life, they will never, ever satisfy. Jesus said it like this in Matthew or in Mark 8.36. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. But there is a better way. A way when when you're engaged in the things of God and making a kingdom difference. And the strange thing is, when we do engage, when we do play the game, when we do show people Jesus, even when we face opposition, our faith increases. The word comes alive. The spirit draws close. And we live boldly, and there's this point of joy where, we're no, where we know we are in the center of God's will. The rest of God's promises become sweeter. I love 1 Peter 4.19 because I think it represents a truth that we can hold on to. Let me read that verse again. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And the promise is this. We are called to continue to do what is right, that that good, and trust the results and our life to God. I don't know in what way, and it's probably not given your life, but in a sense, it is. I think this is going to speak to someone this morning, and and you're going to realize the gifts that you have and the potential and what God wants to do through you. Because the pressure to compromise and keep silent is great, but you're going to step up and do the right thing, the godly thing, and trust the results to him. Some of us just need to confess. Something might have to be different and difficult in our lives. Some may need to finally stand up for someone who's alone or speak out against injustice. But as long as you're doing good, you can trust the results to your creator because the promise holds he will never leave you or forsake you. Occasionally, somebody will ask me, if I think that in this country we will start to experience more persecution. And normally that question is asked out of fear. Do you you think it's coming here? And honestly, I think in this country we will experience more and more persecution. Um, It's prevalent around the world. I don't think we should be an exception. Peter would tell us, if that happens, don't be surprised. As crazy as this might sound, I don't think it would have a terrible effect on our faith because persecution never hurts the church, ever. Some would say, but aren't you afraid of losing your life? Don't you fear for your kids? As followers of Jesus, and I don't mean to sound flippant, but we already should have lost our life. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, right after a conversation with Peter, and Peter was trying to convince Jesus that he didn't need to suffer and face the cross and die. And Jesus looked at him and said, Get away from me, Satan. And then he said this in Matthew 16, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. The most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. Would you confess with me this morning that maybe you've been too concerned about saving your life instead of losing your life for the gospel and for a son of God who lost his life for you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to ask that you would fill us with your spirit this morning, that you would make us bold as we, with grace, truth, and love, show people Jesus. That we would realize, God, the cost involved, and that, God, we all lose our life at some point. And Jesus, I want to lose my life for you, to be used by you. And I want to serve arm in arm with my brothers and sisters who are passionate about showing people Jesus above all else so that we can storm the gates of hell and that the enemy will know what's already the truth. He has lost and you have won. And all God's people said, Amen.